You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Grey Cup me, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. It's Travis Curra and Brazilian Thai. Last week, tales of Brazilian Thai heading home in Rocky Mountain blizzards. How was uh, the trek back to work this week? Um, the first hour and a bit was terrible. Oh, the first part? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, leaving Lloyd in the snow and, and all that crap. And then once I hit Vegreville, it was clear sailing until... I don't know, like an hour out of Prince George, and I couldn't see out of my headlight or because oh. of my headlights. I ran out of washer fluid. Uh, yeah, I stopped at McBride with the full intention of buying washer fluid, and all I did Ooh. was buy two. And all I did was buy two cokes. <laughs> that stuff is uh, currency when uh, there's melty conditions and yeah. messy snow and all that. Once you're out of the washer fluid, you might as well have. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and and I had to make it to Prince George because I was getting fed, so I had to get there. Of course, you had to go there. Uh, yeah, there. You've been there. What Stephen Carey's place, right? Yeah. What yep. what what did Carey make? I'm curious because if you were coming over, I'd probably get I don't know Bread pepperoni butter. and bacon pizza pops and <laughs> yeah. chicken. Burn the roof of my mouth again. <laughs> I told that story last night and how I made, how I made it like your fault because I was so drunk and I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> Uh, she made Greek meatballs and oh, orzo oh. and a Greek salad. But I'm like, well, I'm not going to eat the salad. She's like, yeah, Steve doesn't eat salad either. So it's fine. <laughs> I might have to go on a, uh, on a road trip to PG. One of these days I hopefully, was at a wedding. You like dogs. Cause Mickey will not leave you alone. <laughs> dogs. They're cool. As long as I can trust them. If they're trustworthy, oh, yeah. they're, they're cool. He'll slobber all over you. Oh, <laughs> We were, we were at a wedding, uh, Leanne, now Jackson, uh, getting married in Vagerville. I, growing up in Lloydminster, I'd never had a picture with the giant Pisanka, the large Easter egg, until this moment. So, uh, cross you yourself one off the a Ukrainian. List. <laughs> this episode of Two and Out is you brought gotta go to you there and get a picture of the sausage. Now. Yeah, I've had that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted and produced by Andrew Paul and Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. What the Edmonton Community Foundation does, it, it helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. The latest episode, episode 134, talks to two community leaders from Edmonton that were recognized at the 2022 RISE Awards. And the RISE Awards are presented by the Edmonton Mennonite Center for Newcomers to re recognize immigrant success in Edmonton. So you can subscribe to the Well Endowed Podcast and check out that latest episode at the Well Endowed Podcast.com. Here we are. The division finals are in the books. 
We do have a matchup for the 109th Grey Cup in Regina. We will start Great with the Eastern. match of 107 and 108, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> if you are under the assumption and belief that Hamilton is, in fact, the same thing as Toronto. Um, assumption. On her YouTube channel, uh, Theodore King with uh, the comment saying that uh, well, Montreal is basically Toronto too. So, <laughs> hey, no, I, I, I really caught some flack by saying uh, Bomber fans were classier than Ryder fans last week, and yeah, but it's I'm, true. I'm still hearing that in my uh, mentions. <laughs> There's a trick to that. Oh, mute. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I will never mute you if you're tweeting me and looking for engagement. But if you do text me, I will take forever to reply. You will not. Like, yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> an absolute joke. The Toronto Argonauts. My dad will text me back before you do. <laughs> beating the Montreal Alouettes, thirty-four twenty-seven. Look, both of these games were close. Both of them were one-score games. And here in Toronto, they got off to a fast start. A.J. Olette, Andrew Harris running the ball. And, I mean, right off the top, they said Brandon Banks was going to get involved into the return game. He's, what, five yards back in his end zone. You think he's going to give up the single. He picks it up and he returns it 31 yards. So it had yeah. Toronto off to a pretty intense start. They were fired up early. Yeah, and I mean, you, you see that and you're like, okay, whatever. Take the ball at, what would it be, your 30 or 25 or whatever yeah, it yeah. is. You know, you're down one, whatever. It shouldn't matter in the big scheme of things. But when you have a guy like Brandon Banks or even a guy like Janarian Grant, who we saw in the West final, when you have those playmakers that are able to do that, you kind of, it's hard to be mad at them. It's early in the game. It's kinda, it it kind of feels inconsequential. But I mean, when you look at it, it's like, man, that could have went real bad. AJ Olette ended up having a, a nice day. He had over six yards of carry, six carries for 38 yards. But he had two catches for 53 yards, and one of them, yeah, was that 46-yarder on the first drive. And we already talked about Brandon Banks, and today was kind of an adventure for him, including (laughs) that first drive where it looked like it should have been a no-doubter catch, but he ends up bobbling it. This is five minutes into the game. It comes down, it hits his legs, and somehow it... It stayed off the turf, yep. but we're five minutes into the game here. Ryan Dinwiddie is using his challenge already. Dinwiddie challenged that? Or did Machocha challenge that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Macho- yeah, Machocha's challenging that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's dumb. That is dumb. Uh, and you hear the argument that we got in the group chat was to kill momentum. It, you're, you're down a score. If you know if they are able to to convert from first and goal, like what momentum? Like you can't use your challenge on that. It, it's you got lucky. You didn't really get bit by it too bad, just because. Yeah, yeah. He, there was nothing really egregious that needed to be challenged later, but you don't know that five minutes into the game. Mm-hmm. I, I I I don't get these coaches that use their challenge in the first quarter, even the first half. I don't like that much. Yeah. 
So right off the bat, Andrew Harris gets a touchdown and he is on fire. He is scored his first touchdown for the Argos. In fact, his, yeah, his first touchdown since last year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We already had an email from Michael Walker at, uh, to an out.ca to the mailbag. He goes, I would like to hear Ty's analysis of how Andrew Harris's experience helped him recuperate from his pec injury ahead of schedule. I have a theory. <laughs> Say uh, no more. <laughs> he should probably be classified as an import, but. <laughs> and there were moments early in this game where it kind of looked like Toronto was going to going to fall apart here and they mm-hmm. ended up after the first quarter up 14 to 3 but they they were clearly trying to keep the ball away from Chandler Worthy and it it ended up costing them because that first punt from Jake Haggerty ends up going out of bounds and what it ended up being like a what a 4 yard punt or something like it was 4 yard net yeah with the penalty yeah and then uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson later he wanted a, a, a challenge for another Brandon Banks play. There was one where he caught it kind of falling out of bounds. And look, that's a close call. I wouldn't want to make that call at game speed in the heat of the moment. And there was another one where he was barely out of bounds. Like it yeah. seemed like every single play that went Banks' way was uh, an adventure. Close. And it yeah. was close. Um, but when McLeod Bethel Thompson wanted Dinwiddie to throw the challenge flag, he, he didn't. And it honestly looked like they were getting physical on the sideline. He's arguing with the coach on the sidelines, and it looked like they were pushing each other. Like, <laughs> to me, that's just not, it's not a winning formula. And we no. saw it earlier this year with the Argos fighting amongst themselves yeah. on the sidelines involving Brandon Banks, but. Is a first down or a completed pass in like the first quarter that important that you're willing to lose a challenge? It, it, it was called no catch on the field. Like they got to have, yeah, they got to exactly. have the evidence to overturn it. Like I, I just don't understand these players think that like, oh, this one's for sure. This one, no, it's not. Like you only get one if you get it wrong. Yep. So why waste it now? He's a competitor, and he's in the heat of the moment. I I get it. Uh, There was something interesting before the game on TSN during the pregame show that Dave Naylor and Farhan Lalji kind of suggesting that maybe McLeod Bethel-Thompson's done with football. Well, now he's in the Grey Cup, so we'll see what happens there. I thought overall he had a pretty good game. They they were off on a few of the, the long throws, but... He had a good game, 19 to 27, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Most importantly, he did not have uh, any turnovers here. Yeah. So look, he's a competitor and it, it's, it almost feels like almost any other team would have been able to take advantage of a team arguing amongst themselves, but Montreal just wasn't able to take advantage of that at all. No, and I, Montreal just kept shooting themselves in the foot. Penalties. Yeah. Uh, in the second quarter there, uh, what was it? Yeah, the ball on a punt. Worthy slips. Hyper extends his knee a little bit. Ball goes to the end zone. Like, And then even as the game wore on, it just seemed every time Montreal could get a little bit of something going, whether it was on offensive defense, they, they would take a penalty. 
do something that just – I don't want to blame Machocha, but it just seemed like he had nothing to do with anybody on the sidelines. Well, let's look at he Toronto's – very disengaged. Toronto's drive chart. Normally we go over drive charts for bad games. Yeah. <laughs> but like Tor- the rider games, yeah. <laughs> Toronto was touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, and then they held the ball to end the half, and then it goes field goal, touchdown, punt, and then they, they ended the game. They had the ball there for, what, four minutes to uh, – uh, kill out the clock there, but Montreal's defense could not get a stop, and everything Toronto did, they were rolling on offense, and they were making things happen. Even a short yardage play, Chad Kelly at second and one, he hits Devaris Daniels for a 46-yard touchdown, and yep. uh, Devaris Daniels, the leading receiver for the Argos, three catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown, and even uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson missed him on another wide-open play. It seems like he has flown under the radar a little bit this season, but he's still a talent, and he can still make you pay, and they showed it in this one. Yeah, I mean, that last on that last drive there, the overthrow, I mean, I didn't like that play call. Like, I know you're going for the nail in the coffin. Yeah, yeah. I I get that, just putting it out of reach. Uh, But... You know, only three things happen when you throw the football, and two of them are bad. So, kind of, they end up winning, so it doesn't come back to bite them. That play with Chad Kelly and the short yardage, Montreal just seemed lost. Uh, you can see, can't remember who it was, but he was on the outside, and he knows DeVaris Daniels is out there. He's looking at the sideline for the play call, doesn't get it, and blitzes. Yeah. Like I said, I I don't want to say, I don't want to speak for Matoja or anything, but he just seemed disengaged and disinterested every time the camera was on him. Well, and that is the big question for the Alouettes going into this offseason. Who is going to be the coach of the team? And he insists that he is not going to be coaching them yeah. in 2023. But there are several people that don't believe that for a second. They, they, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of names being thrown around. I Kamari's mean, available. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Hey, yeah, Machocha gets his guy, and his name is Kahari Jones. <laughs> Trevor Harris, 25 of 30, 362 yards, and a touchdown. When you just look and at one, those numbers. And one pass from in front of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that that play still counted. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you're right, because Harris, he extends the play, but he tosses it to on Julian Grant when he's a pass, past the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But then there's the forced fumble. Toronto returns it, and they're in pretty good field position. And that was during that whole sequence where they're fighting on the sidelines and all this, yeah. the bad punt from Toronto, and then Montreal just cannot take advantage of that. Yeah, the, the, that was a very interesting play. But the theme here for Montreal is being unable to finish drives. And four for four on field goals from Cote, but the long was 35. Uh, yeah. I think most of them came from inside the 27, including in the second half. There was a third and two where I think a lot of people thought they should have went for it. It's, it's easy to say now, mm-hmm. but... On those two-yard uh, plays, short yardage in the playoffs, when you're not able to finish drives, at one point, at some point, it feels like you got to take a 
take a chance. And William Stanback's ha- had an even seven yards to carry here, but one was a 52 yarder, which was yeah, quite I mean, impressive we, in the third we, quarter. We talked about that in the group chat. Yeah. Or, you know, six for 12 or 13 or whatever it was. I'm like, well, it's kind of five for seven. <laughs> if you don't count though, like, I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't as like, you know, prolific as the stats would suggest. I mean, that one big rush was yeah, unreal. It was. Uh, but, yeah, in the playoffs, especially with this Toronto team who seemed to come out guns blazing and, and ready to go, field goals aren't going to win you this football game. Exactly. Uh, especially on the on the road. And when the Toronto offense was – your defense is not getting a stop. It, it just – when they needed it, they weren't going to get it. And then in the second half – the defense, while they couldn't get a stop, or when they did have opportunities, they took a face masking call. There was a costly offside. There was a pass interference there as well. And that was an ongoing theme for the Montreal Alouettes early this season. Mm-hmm. The discipline issues, uh, where early on it was pretty bad, and then Machocha takes over, and it was still pretty bad. And they kind of calmed down as the season went on, but some of those plays really bit them in the Eastern Final. Yeah, you can't give away free yards. I mean, you look yeah. at in the fourth quarter. I mean, Montreal's still in the game. It's it, they're down ten. Club Ethel Thompson looks for Devaris Daniels, and they get the defensive pass interference. Which, yeah, I mean, it didn't I, it, look like it was going to be a completed ball, but no, he did impede him. He, no, and that's I'm not arguing that. I'm, I'm yeah. saying like I mean, do, do you take is that a good penalty? Like it's like hauling a guy down. Yeah, to prevent a goal, right? It's a good, it's a, it's an all right penalty to take. I mean, if it's that fifty-fifty where he's going to catch or not, I'd rather him not catch it. Yeah, but and then and then they make the stop. They they don't allow them to get the first down. It works against them. It did because now they they got they got the long field. It's like, yeah, the penalty was kind of a good penalty to take. It worked out, but like you didn't give up any points, but you just shot yourself in the foot. So then you got you know ninety yards to go down the field. I thought it took them a bit too long to get Geno Lewis really involved in the game. And, of course, he had the tough assignment in Jamal Peters with the uh, Argos, one of the best corners on the team near the league lead league yeah, lead say, in yeah. interceptions. But uh, five catches, 83 yards for him. The big game here was from the rookie, Tyson Philpot of Montreal Alouettes. Eight mm-hmm. catches, eight targets, 127 yards, and a touchdown, and he made a, a catch late in the game. Actually, he made really nice catches, does not even look like a rookie, and both mm-hmm. Philpots, I think they've got a bright future in this league, and Tyson had a great year. Two receivers, I think, went in front of him, in uh, in the draft this past year, including Samuel Emelis from the Riders, and you don't need to tell Rider fans about how uh, that turned out. Uh, I mean, it was only it's only a rookie year, but Philpot looks like he yeah. might have been the well, guy. Dalton, Dalton Schoen's rookie year too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean <laughs> that Philpot should have been uh, drafted mm-hmm. first off the board there. But what a great game for him! He's the East nominee for the Rookie of the Year against. Like you he's, said, Dalton yeah. Schoen, so he's in tough there. Um, but Any, like, if anybody actually like, because I don't know how the voting works. Like, I don't know if you have to vote again once two nominees are done, right, or if it's right, right. just the top vote getters from each. It's shown. Division. It's shown. 
if anybody votes for Phil Pot over Schoen, they're they're not watching football. Like it's or yeah, like it, it doesn't make any sense why Schoen wouldn't win that award. Phil Pot's just going to get better from yeah. here on out, and he's got Eugene Lewis to work with and Jake Whitley. Like uh, he's got yeah. a good, he's got a good, a good group with him to learn from. So he's yeah, the sky's the limit. It was a quiet game for Jake Winicky. Four catches, 47 yards, uh, and he had become pretty big in the Owls' offense during the last couple games here. But uh, there it is. Even Curly Gittens late in the game. He didn't get involved until later for the Argos. He had nine catches, nine targets, uh-huh. 97 yards, and a touchdown. Look, the... Uh, the Argos, they, they had a pretty good game, and they asked McLeod Bethel-Thompson, is this a complete effort? And he brings up the missed, uh, missed play to Devaris Daniels. It's, yeah, the sluggo. Yeah, it's still not quite good enough for him, but they've got one more chance to do it. Yeah. Not, not good enough for him. They are trending in the right direction, obviously. like It's the right time of year to be getting near the, near the top of your game, or if not, if you're not already there. But, you know, the plays that they missed today, I don't know how many of those you get against a team like the Bombers. Nope. Nope. You're, <laughs> those plays have to be made, and that goes yeah. without saying. Henoch Mwamba had seven tackles for the Argos. Dwayne Hendricks had uh, six tackles himself and a sack. Chris Edwards had a sack in this one, and big Sean Oakman also had a sack. But the big one for the Owls' defense was zero sacks. Seven a week ago against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It was such a big factor in the Owls winning that game, and they didn't get it. They didn't get the pressure they needed against the Argos, and part of it is that... One of the Sasks got called back for a face mask. Yeah, yeah. And the the running game that the Argos had, the Owls had to be ready for whatever the Argos were going to bring, and everything worked for them. So they have earned their spot into the Grey Cup Championship. And we're not... We haven't even really mentioned Olette and Harris. Like, the two-headed monster they were today what was something to watch. Like it didn't seem to matter who had the ball. And it wasn't like, you know, you see teams that have the tandems where one guy's a receiving back, one guy's the back that's going to get all the handoffs. They were both doing, you know, receiving, blocking, staying in for blocking, rushing the ball. Like they both had phenomenal days. That's going to be big in the gray cup in, in the cold in Regina. We know that Harris is used to that. So his leadership, I think on that part will be, Will be big for the team. 83 yards. Milt knows what you need to win in cold weather. Yeah. 83 yards combined between the two backs receiving. And then it was 80 80 yards even rushing between uh, the two backs. 15 carries there. And they were just getting chunks and chunks of yards at a time. So there it is. Uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson in his second playoff start. Clinches the win. They're going to the Grey Cup. And the Argos have won six straight Grey Cup appearances. Have not lost a Grey Cup since uh, the Gizmo Williams return in 1987 for Edmonton. What a massive, massive uh, return that was. Did you write that down? Or did you just remember it from the broadcast? Actually, no. I just know the 87 Grey Cup. Is that the one where Dunning got knocked 
knocked out. Well, I think Dunnigan's been knocked out in uh, a lot of instances. Okay. That's the one where he got knocked out and Tracy Hamm had to come in? Oh, maybe. Was that 87? The, the two-and-out fact Mike checker. Will, yeah, exactly. Will uh, get to us here in uh, three weeks, and then we will know exactly <laughs> what happened there. And, hey. Yeah, you'll, send me a, you'll send me a text on Boxing Day. <laughs> we got to mention Ja'Garrett Davis. Six, Six in a row. straight Grey Cup appearance, whether he's with Calgary, whether he's with Hamilton, whether he's with Toronto, all he's ever known in his CFL career is playing in every game, including the Grey Cup. That is, that's an that's incredible nuts. run. Yeah. I mean, Dave Cutler did it when the, when the, uh, then the Eskimos won five in a row, but they also lost to Montreal in that, the year before they started their run. Right, yeah, and I'm sure there was other guys on that roster that did it too, and went to that were on there yeah. for all six years. But the fact that it's Jagarid's only six seasons is nuts. Well, that's it. The that's only nuts. six years he's played in the CFL yeah. and three teams, two divisions, like <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, I think it's amazing. So I, I I don't know his contract status offhand, but maybe. <laughs> he will be able to uh, leverage that uh, in this offseason here. And yeah, O'Day's going to give him 400K. <laughs> hey, he, he always gets the, the great the playoff bonus checks if uh, yeah. he, he keeps playing in those extra games. I I think that's so, so cool. You think he'd want to start finishing second, though, because then he gets more playoff games. Yeah, so you play in the semifinal, the final, and yeah. the Grey Cup, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beating the BC Lions 28-20, advancing to their third straight Grey Cup, looking to win three straight for the first time since those Edmonton teams in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, really here the story is that uh, the BC offense really couldn't get anything going until the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. A- after the first quarter, I think they had 14 combined yards. But the BC defense, they kept they kept them in it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that includes, and I know we mentioned on the pod last week, they need to limit Janarian Grant. They need to have a good special teams day, and that also didn't happen. Janarian Grant, three return touchdowns against the Winnipeg or against the BC Lions this season. He's had an incredible year against them, but Winnipeg starts just like they've done so many times this year, and they meant business. Mike Legio missing a convert. Yeah. Is that not what we're talking about? Uh, Dembski has the 40-yard play. It's Kolaris to Schoen right off the bat. And then things get crazy. And we'll say that, <laughs> that Winnipeg cl- crowd was off the charts. They were loud. And I, I think it rattled Rourke. And I, I don't know if it was... Uh, and probably Rick Campbell. That, that last drive in the fourth quarter was embarrassing if you're Rick Campbell. And who's ever calling the uh, uh, Buck Pierce? No, Max Simic uh, is the OC for BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah Simic. Like that's that's such a bad look on that final drive. Yeah, I, I don't know why you don't go into. We had over a minute, and it's it's said over five seconds, over and over. 
as a CFL fan, the best part of the game is the clock at the end. And I know the the sack from Alden Darby did throw them off, but we'll 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 get to yeah, that we'll get there, there. We'll get because there. there was craziness in the first half, and oh, I don't man. know. If, Rourke was thrown off by the crowd, the cold, the foot. There's a lot of factors in there. And hey, Willie Jefferson, Jackson yeah, it, it's the playoffs only for the uh, second game in his career in the playoffs. So you get it in that environment in Winnipeg. It's not an easy place to play at all. So BC takes the two and out after after Winnipeg scores the opening score, and then Winnipeg blocks the punt. We go to commercial and we come back. It's still being looked at. Well, there you go. Roughing the kicker, called on Winnipeg. It is BC ball again. So I, I tried to look for it in the rule book, but they were it's mentioning. Not in there. Yeah, they were mentioning on the broadcast that even if the blocker touches the ball and hits. The plant foot of the punter, it'll get roughing the kicker. That's what they mentioned on the broadcast. Yeah. But, it, yeah, I couldn't find it in the rule book either. No, I searched and searched, couldn't find it. Um, I don't know, maybe it, it was. it's just uh, they, they mentioned it was like player safe, so it could be a totally different issue, but you would think it would still be in there. Uh, do I like it? Like, I get I get what they're doing. I totally understand the rule. Yeah, I, still think, yeah. I still think it's stupid. Well, and look, if I touch the ball too bad, I always think the defense is tough to play. And sometimes like when a quarterback ducks and they make helmet to helmet, I'm like, come on. What's the guy supposed to do? I think one of the toughest things in football is to block a kick and not hit the kicker. Oh, 100%. That is one of the most difficult things to pull off. And and that's what happened here. So after that, <laughs> BC still couldn't do anything on offense. They well, no, no, let's talk about that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay, I see they punt it, and Janarian Grant fumbles it or touches it. BC ball. Look at that. A play later, Antonio Pipkin is in the end zone. And I don't, I don't understand what Grant was doing there. Yeah, neither do I. Like Neither the ball never bounced up and he kept his hands up and just let it hit his leg. Yeah. It makes no sense. He looked like Bill Buckner. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so, so I understand that I, I know Winnipeg got the special teams touchdown and this one was technically an offensive touchdown, but we'll, we'll chalk yeah. it up to the, to the special teams on that one. for. Recovery. I was really hoping that bets would get into the end zone though. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty chirpy and uh, mm-hmm. chippy as as the game went on here. So the, the Lions were only trailing 9-7 after the first quarter, despite only having six passing yards, Ty. <laughs> but, and look, the, the, there was a lot of missed opportunities for that offense uh, on BC, or defense, sorry, on BC mm-hmm. as well. There were, what, they two or three? They dropped a lot of picks. Yeah, and... Uh, I guess those are why the DBs are playing defense and not offense. Uh, but you said it, not me. <laughs> there were opportunities there for DBs to make plays, and they couldn't quite do it. Marcus Sales did intercept uh, Zach Kalaros in the end zone once, but that Lions defense could have had a few more picks. Yeah, and I mean Kalaros multiple times. It seemed, or not seen, but like multiple times in that first half. 
would give one of these as he walked back to the sidelines because he knew that he got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I went both ways. Like the bombers dropped, dropped a few as they well did. and didn't get, didn't get the spots. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how much the weather has to do with that, with it football being a rock. And like you said, DBs can't catch. You said it. I did not. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, DBs. Yeah, no. They've already got a hard enough life. But <laughs> uh, that that pass to Claro, like Claros doesn't get tricked on that stuff. And like Suter pointed out, that sales slips underneath. And I, I don't know how he gets there, or like how Claros decides to throw it there. Like he can, sales has been sales was there, so. Mm-hmm. That, that almost looked like BC would maybe be, get some momentum from that and maybe be able to push downfield, and it just came out flat. Had two and out on the next drive. That was the start of the fourth quarter. Uh, the Lions' defense kept them in it and gave them a fighting chance right to the very end of this game, but I think one of the big factors here is that they couldn't get Butler going at all. Mm-hmm. Like, when I say at all... <laughs> he had 0.7 yards a carry. Yeah. So there was no running game from the BC Lions. And I think the Lions have worked so hard this season to achieve balance with the mm-hmm. running game. And last week, Butler had the ball 20 times. This week, it it wasn't going to happen. They, they, they threw to him. He had three catches for 24 yards. But he also he had a f- costly fumble. As well, just when you need to make some positive yards and at yeah. least keep the ball and have have a dry, a sustained drive here, Butler was a non-factor, and the Bombers really limited him to absolutely nothing, and that was that put more pressure on Nathan Rourke and the Lions' passing attack. Well, and that Butler fumble come came directly after a two and out from the Bombers, and they punted. Mm-hmm. So it it's just you know, kind of like another kick to the gut because your defense made a stop. You've got a chance to – you're not out of this game by any point. Like, they were only down two. But, I mean, if you can get a lead, you're able to get them a little more involved. Now, that being said, yeah, you want to give them the ball 20 times. Can you do that against this Bombers defense? I think that was more of the issue. We've seen this year – People have, or teams have had mm-hmm. success running on them more than in the past. Um, now, their run, their rushing defense was near the top, just like the mm-hmm. past. But it was, uh, you know, in the 80-yard game range instead of like the 55-yard game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is still good. Uh, <laughs> it's still <That's> incredible. <laughs> Let me be clear there. Uh, and then, you know, the second half starts. Now, the Bombers only had a 19-8 lead. It, it seemed like they could have had a bigger one, but the Lions were... We're keeping a minute. The return touchdown from Janarian Grant helped out with that. And then the, the second half starts. Lions have a pretty nice completion to Keon Hatcher. He just steps out of bounds. Just steps out of bounds. Mm-hmm. And they settle for the field goal there to start the second half. And Winnipeg, what follows that up with a nine-play, 70-yard touchdown drive. Five minutes and eight seconds. And that's it. In the second half, 
I found that the Bomber offensive line really started controlling the pace of play and they were doing really what they wanted mm-hmm. to do on offense and BC was having trouble stopping that in the cold it hurts so much more it wears you out so much faster and when yep. those bruising offensive linemen are coming down on you who, who aren't wearing sleeves because they're yeah. psychopaths <laughs> it tires you out brady Oliveira, 20 carries 130 yards on the day six and a half yards a carry but i think Dakota Prukop's become one of those underrated players, I think, on the Bombers. Whenever he comes in, he can, he's making plays all the time. He he had 37 yards rushing. Reminds you of another backup quarterback they had a little bit. Yeah. 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 He's an athletic guy and Prukop kind of bounced around the CFL, but Mm -hmm. he's a very valuable part of the short yardage game that the Bombers have and they might need him more in the Grey Cup. Oh, what, what are you saying, Travis? <laughs> Zach said he's fine. Uh, yeah. The one thing we we forgot to mention is on that touchdown drive. Yeah, the miss, the extra the miss point. convert. Terry Williams, first time ever in playoff history for the two-point return. 126 yards. First time ever in playoff history, CFL playoff history. 126 yards for two points. Like, your, your return on investment's piss poor on that. <laughs> Have you seen the stat? That has to be one of the maybe the longest two point play in CFL history. <laughs> I mean, you can the long you can only go one hundred and twenty nine. Yeah, so. yeah, that's amazing. He was just gassed after that. So, I, the Lions were able to kind of limit the damage to themselves in the third quarter uh, because of that two point play, the field goal. So it was. They only ended up losing like net one point in the third. So going into the fourth, they were still in it. They were still in it. Uh, (laughs) It made sense in my head. No, I get it. Yeah. And then after that, Terry Williams ends up getting knocked out on a, on a kickoff. So the lions need to kind of change their, their strategy. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the versatility of Keon Hatcher this season. (laughs) <laughs> he's playing in all the, you know, positions as a receiver, and now he's returning kicks. And I thought he yeah. did quite well returning kicks when he got called upon. He, he had to return. Did not, did not hurt them. No. He right? had to return like, I mean, four punts, and yeah. he had an average of over 13 yards. That was pretty good. Yeah, you'll take that every day. Um, talk about how they kind of own, like, the net loss or whatever from that. That, that short yardage stuff by Adam Bagel, the turnover on downs, that just seemed really defeating. Yeah. And it was kind of like, man, they're just not going to get anything going. It kind of felt like that. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was a bad spot, but whatever. And you can't challenge yeah. them because it's never going to get there, there's no point overturned. But when you can't get the one yard you need or the two yards you need and yeah, and they were clearly struggling with the noise too, and it, cool. it be, and it, it be, got worse. Yeah, it, as the game went on, it got worse and worse and worse. You're right that that BC stop on third down, Butler can't get going. The offensive line is just bowling you over. But then, really late in the game, about four minutes left, when Zach gets hit and looks like he's injured his ankle. And 
at that point, the Bombers are up 15. I'm thinking, well, it's probably not going to affect them this game. But it's going to be a factor going into this week, into the Great Cup. He's limping around. He did try to come out, and he called it, and he went back off the field. That ankle is going to be something to watch in preparation yeah. for the Grey Cup. Well, and I, I don't know. Like we've seen Drew Brown start a game. We know he's capable. Uh, do you want that issue to come, or do you want that to be a storyline? Probably not. Do you I want don't it to be a distraction? It. Right? It's going to be a storyline for sure. But you got to find a way to not make it a distraction whether or not you're shooting him up with something so he's not limping at practice and then figuring something out. It might, he might have just rolled it. Maybe he didn't strain him. Maybe he got lucky. It's just a day or two. We'll see. Uh, but the fact that he even that they even sent him back out, I didn't like. Like, what's the point? You're not going to win. I don't think they win the Grey Cup with Drew Brown. Like, starting. So why not just keep Colorado's like, don't even let him stand up. Like, keep all the weight off of that thing. We'll figure it out. I, I didn't like how O'Shea was ready to throw him back in. That didn't make any sense to me. After he's getting it wrapped and he was busy yeah. limping and in pain, it's like, what are you doing? Now, I've had some pretty bad ankle roll-ups where sometimes the next day, a couple days later, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, nothing happened. But that day yeah. is just terrible. It's the worst. Now, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but if it turns out to be a high ankle, that's something you don't want to hear. Uh, but... I would be. I would. I would have Crohn's after all the tour. All I took. <laughs> I, I know how the bombers are going to handle this. They're going to say no update, no comment, game time decision. Yeah, probably. I think so. It'll be Tom Brady, probable with yeah. <laughs> for 15 years under Bellow. Okay. What are we doing? Good luck getting any uh, updates out of Mike O'Shea to all of the media descending on Regina. You'll try your best. It'll be entertaining. (laughs) But it's just not going to happen. But, hey, at least you won't have to answer that stupid question from Terry Jones at the the coaches' media conference. (laughs) Now somebody else is going to ask him, but at least it's not Terry. Yeah, I I think – yeah, we'll see. We'll see if somebody else asks that. Uh, The Lions – also, Let's hope Andrew doesn't get immediate back. <laughs> the Lions also had a touchdown scoring drive of their own in the fourth quarter, where mm-hmm. oh boy, it uh, it looked like after that Alexander Holland's catch, uh, Rourke was he was starting to feel it a little bit, starting to get a little bit more. More confidence there, and what a big play there. So they're within eight. <laughs> Which is still kind of like a two-score game. Basically, basically. So the, the Lions' defense makes the makes the play that they need to make. They wouldn't – of course, you don't want to give up the first down, but they did, and it only took a minute off the clock. Yep. Then the Lions get the ball with a minute 35. Yeah. And look, I know that sack on the first play threw things off, but that was some really bad clock management. And, and I don't think it's on work. It's not like it's not his fault. His coaches aren't don't have his plays in for him. 
Like there's no reason that there should not have been plays called. I know that you you get sacked and, and you lose the seven yards. Yeah. But you're in three down territory anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, second and 17, you don't need to get all 17 back because you're going for it on third down regardless. Like it's just terrible preparation, terrible coaching, terrible decision-making. And I don't, it just makes no sense. Like, you know, the crowd, the crowd got progressively louder. Yeah. And by the fourth quarter, you, it was evident on, even on TV, like it was way too loud. And when they know that they're causing <laughs> havoc in the game, the fans are like, all right, cranking yeah. it up more. Yeah. It's, and yeah, the fact that work didn't have plays ready or anything like that, like he's a second year guy, like he's not. He's not Ricky Ray. He's not a Peyton Manning who's going to be able to do all that at the line. They don't have all of that stuff yet. Like it's the coaching staff lost this game for BC because they had opportunities. And now I, I shouldn't say lost again. This they that last minute thirty five is completely on the coaches. And I mean, it, it's it's just really like it sucks because we talk about how work is his talent. And he's Canadian. And we want to see him succeed, and then. Just looks inept, but I don't. It's not. An, it's not his fault. Yeah, I don't think it was on him. Now I realize they had ninety six yards to go, so it. <laughs> it yeah, was, but I mean, they lost twenty twenty five seconds. I mean, there's yeah. two or three plays. That's like, I mean, I think they could have had two or three more plays, yeah. and if things go according to plan, bombers would have something to say about this. But the, yeah. the, the the final shot could have come from the 15 instead of the, the 50. And yeah. all of a sudden, <laughs> anything can happen at that moment. And look, the Bombers controlled the ball for almost 35 minutes. Richie Hall sending seven guys yeah. on first and 10 was nuts. Yeah. Like, I love it. Of course, they were untouched and... Richie Hall gets all the credit for calling a beautiful game here. He dialed up the pressure when he needed to. It was the perfect time. And the timing on it was was great. Like, these Bomber coaches, they were mm-hmm. – <laughs> Bomber fans wanted them gone it's in like, 2018. Oh, like, you're going to have six – you're going to have nobody in the block and you're going to have six – okay. <laughs> and Release the hounds. And there it went. The, the Bombers had the ball for 34 minutes and 57 seconds, and they did force two interceptions from Nathan Rourke as well. Uh, Zach Kalaros goes 14 of 20 for 178 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Uh, his best drive was the Zach first Nichols. drive of the game. <laughs> Rourke does throw for 300. Uh, the accuracy was off, 20 of 37, two picks. 300's not even news for him anymore. No, uh, two picks and a touchdown there, but Brady Oliveira rushing for 130. Mm-hmm. Nick Dembski was uh, the Swiss Army nice knife we've seen. He, he was rushing the ball. Uh, he had five catches for 74 yards, the leading receiver for the Bombers, and they didn't need to do anything special. That's them. Blue Bomber football. Uh, When you know what you need to do to stop them and when you know what the next play call is going to be and you can't stop it, that's that's deflating for any team. And we've seen that with the Bombers when they had Andrew Harris, even when they had Oliveira in for Andrew Harris when Harris was out. Like this offensive line just imposes its will. 
You're not going to be bigger than them. No. You're not going to be able to outman them. You can't, you're not going to, like, yeah, you're going to lose that battle nine times out of ten. And, they, like, yeah, we're going to run it right at you. And good luck. Like, Purifoy comes down from the safety spot, untouched, gets to Oliveira. Oliveira overpowered him. Yeah. And got an extra three or four yards. The like, guy's got eight. legs like stove yeah. pipes. Well, like, yeah, he's like Sidney Crosby. <laughs> exactly. The Omri Yager protecting the puck. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, you know what's coming and just get run over. And how you do that for three hours? That sounds like fun. <laughs> In minus six or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, James Butler, four or he six carries for four yards. Yeah, man. Uh, three catches for 24 yards. The leading receiver, Keon Hatcher, seven catches, 133 yards. Dominic Rimes, only the one catch, 42 yards. Yeah. And Brian Burnham and that, also. That play made like, why are you throwing to Rimes in triple coverage? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, uh, I, I'm sure Rourke will look back at the play and he will, uh, he'll Probably think tell about his, it. Tell his teammates about it when he's sitting on the, when he's sitting on the practice squad or on the bench in the NFL next year. <laughs> Yeah, That's the question. Close. That's the question for for Nathan Rourke. Where does he play in 2023? And we'll see. I know there has been talk about the Lions kind of wondering if they can go to the CFL and try to get him out of this rookie deal and pay him more <laughs> because he's got one year left, right? Yeah, at his rookie deal, like well, whenever. Whenever the fiscal year is up, that's when you sign him to his extension. Yep. Yep. And give him a big signing bonus, like whatever. You're going to figure it out. Now, you do that, you better leave enough money on the table for the other 50 or 60 guys you're going to need throughout the year. Because the Lions are just coming out of a situation where (laughs) their quarterback was eating up a little too much of the salary cap that really, really caused problems elsewhere on the roster. But Overall, for the Lions, you know, this year, many had them picked last in the West. Many thought they were crazy going into the year with Nathan Rourke as their starting quarterback. And here we are, uh, November 13th, and everyone was basically proven wrong. Uh, Yeah, Neely. (laughs) They've got a lot to build off of going forward. Uh, TJ Lee. As long as they can get him to stick around. Yeah, yeah. T.J. Lee had ten tackles in this one. That's Jordan not what Williams. You want from your defensive back? Team. No, Jordan <laughs> Williams, uh, the linebacker, had seven. Uh, Matthew Betts had four tackles uh, and one sack, and, and a fumble recovery. Two sacks for the Bombers, uh, one from Jackson Jeffcoat and one in, uh, right in the fourth quarter on the last drive from Alden Dar- Darby. Uh, and so you, he, could, you could argue that was a half sack for him and Big Hill. And Darby was just acquired uh, a month ago from the mm-hmm. Hamilton Tiger Cats. But when, when they made that when they made that deal, like we were like, well, this just basically so like Winnipeg basically gives up nothing. And he, gets, he can't get on the roster with Hamilton, and here he which, is b- back in Winnipeg. Which makes no sense. You're dressing yeah. Dane Evans, and you can't find a spot for Alden Darby. <laughs> 
Winston Rose has an interception for the Bombers. Desmond Lawrence does as well. Willie Jefferson a knockdown, and there he is again. Uh, Alden Darby, three pass knockdowns in this yeah. one. Uh, Jake Thomas, a fumble recovery, and yeah, you're right, uh, uh, Matthew Betts, a fumble recovery as well in this one. That's another question. Vernon Adams Jr., where's his future take him in 2023? Don't say it. <laughs> S- Saskatchewan? I don't, <laughs> like I don't already know. tried it. <laughs> I, I don't know but, where uh, VA is going to end up. That's the thing. Like, If you're Saskatchewan, you cannot go out and spend big money on a quarterback. That's not your issue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But does Jeremy O'Day know that? (laughs) I don't know. This episode of Two It Out brought to you by Connect First Credit Union. Do you ever feel like just a number, a digit, a denominator, a decimal, another cog in the big bank machine waiting on hold? Online, never on time, and always on your dime. Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth. In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. The matchup is set for the 109th Grey Cup. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers taking on the Toronto Argonauts. Is that right? This has never happened in the Grey Cup since the Mud Bowl in the 50s? Yep. But here we go. Ryan Dinwiddie coaching for the Argos against the team he started at quarterback in in the Grey Cup in 2007. (laughs) Andrew Harris playing against the team in the Grey Cup from his hometown that he felt disrespected by after the 2021 season. Hey, take it for what you will, man, but he... (laughs) There are so many good storylines. There is. Week. Now, now we got more. We have Zach's ankle. Oh. <laughs> right? The Argos are 6-0 in their last six great cups. Winnipeg is looking for the three-peat. Andrew Harris, you have the Dinwiddie angle if you want to go there. And, oh, and you could probably even go with how terrible the coach he is when it comes to clock management and challenges. <laughs> like, there's some... Really good narrative. And I mean, of course, with Toronto being in it, you never know what TSN is going to say. Because when Jack Campbell was a Leaf, he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then when he, when he signed with the Oilers, oh, wow, there's a lot of warts in his game. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it turns out they were right. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know what? Zach Kolaros is uh, starting against the team that he uh, broke into the Canadian Football League with. And won a great well. cup. But that's the backup. Yeah, uh, 2012, the 100th Grey Cup. Zach Kolaros was a Toronto Argonaut. Of course, the great Ricky Ray is the starter of note in that Grey Cup game. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. The CFL Awards, and who knows what could come out of Grey Cup week. So later this week, we'll be back with our 109th Grey Cup preview hey thanks for pressing play uh we we love getting the playoff uh episodes out as soon as possible so uh you can yell at us about our takes and all that you can yell at travis i'll just you You can rate review and subscribe to to it out on your favorite podcatcher and hey subscribe like and leave a comment on youtube as well talk to you soon to get you ready for the great cup thanks for listening 
Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 